Starcourt Study Hall episodes contain spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Marina. And I'm Amanda. And And this this is Starcourt Study Hall. So this episode goes out to all my fleas and all my acrobats <laughs> out there listening. If you are a flea or an acrobat, this this episode is very specifically for you. It sure is. And if you if you're out there and you you are a flea, props to you. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> I want to know how what device you're listening to this on if you're a flea. Like how small <laughs> is that device? <laughs> wow yeah so to all my fleas and all my acrobats out there in the stranger things universe this is this is um chapter five the flea and the acrobat yep this is uh we're already halfway through season one which is more than halfway through oh actually yeah we are already more than halfway through so that is astonishing i can't believe that already there's three Um, chapters left yeah yeah, we're we're now on the back end, which is yes. wow. We, we cross the threshold. <laughs> we have. So before we get started with a scene by scene and some fast facts, let's do a quick little summary of this episode. So this episode was written by Allison Tatlock and directed by the Duffer Brothers themselves. And if you didn't know, it aired on July fifteenth, twenty sixteen. It sure did. It's very <laughs> shocking, I know. I was nervous. I was nervous that you weren't going to tell us when this episode aired, but you did. I had to make sure. I had to make sure. So here's a quick little summary. The boys find out more about where Will might be. We find out more about Elle's time in Hawkins' lab. Hopper finally gets some answers for Joyce. Elle separates from the rest of the kids after an unfortunate mishap. And Nancy and Jonathan take matters into their own hands. They sure do. They sure do. (laughs) So for this episode, I know for previous episodes we've had a couple fast facts, but we actually could not really find a ton of fast facts for this one except for um, this one. This is the first time in this episode that the dimension is referred to as the Upside Down changed our lives it did the upside down just changed everything yeah all right so are you ready to get into a scene by scene breakdown i just have a question before we move forward yeah are you the flea and i'm the acrobat or or am i the flea (laughs) i wish i was a flea okay then i'll I'll be an acrobat because i feel like they're pretty in shape that's true. That's pretty cool. I mean, I don't want to be like a literal flea. I'm just more like I, I want to interdimensionally travel. Okay. All right. I just wanted to clear that up before we move forward. I just wanted to Thank know you. who we were. Thank you. Although, we, yeah, I would like to put out there that interdimensional travel actually kind of sounds scary. It sounds cool, though. I don't know. I don't know if I want to do it. I guess it would depend on the transportation method. And the dimension you're going to. And the dimension that you're going to. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. 
So let's anyway. get into yeah, <laughs> let's get into scenes. So we open on Hawkins' lab where Hopper has made his way in. He knocks out two guards to get to the quarantine floor, and he finds a bedroom with a child's drawing on the wall as he continues down the hallway. How did he just so happen to stumble upon this quarantined area? I don't know. I wondered that, too. I feel like Hawkins' lab is kind of large. Ginormous. Like, yeah, like, how did he just... And I actually love, too, that he, like, he saw biohazard. He mm. saw it was <laughs> cordoned off, and he was like, I'm going in. Yep. He knew his answers were behind that. Shoot. Yep. No problem. I'm yeah. just gonna I'm just gonna go in. Also, it's the guy in the black suit again. We see that this guy. guy. Yeah. Who is that guy? I straight up have no idea. <laughs> uh, we see him like this might be like the last time we see him. Or no, maybe he appears at the end, like in the, the school. Guy. Does he show up? Yeah, like when L makes them bleed from their eyes. I feel like he might be in that scene and that might be his demise. With Connie. Yes. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, I I think that might be it. Uh, I also found it very interesting how Hopper was able to just like take this guy out who had him at gunpoint. Well, I have a note that says that Hopper never kills. That's he's, true. He's a little bit of like a Batman. Like yeah. you know, the Joker is always like, nah, ha, ha, give in to your evil side, and Batman's like, no. Like it's just <laughs> Hopper punches the shit out of people, but he doesn't kill them. No, yeah, he'll never kill, he just knocks out. Yeah, he just beats the shit out of people to get where he needs to go. One other thing about this scene, I noticed that they use card, or like key card locks in Hawkins' lab, and it got me wondering if that was accurate for the time period. Hmm, So I did a a very small deep dive, a a shallow dive on key cards. So... Wow. <laughs> I know. Very fascinating. Fascinating PhD stuff. PhD material right there. I Right? Gosh, Key cards. So, smart. Uh, so the card that they show in, in this scene, and I think throughout the series, my cat is screaming. Um, throughout the, the card that they're using there is a mechanical key card, and it works with a mechanical key lock. So Basically, how it works is like a normal key. It has little like holes on it or like bumps, and there's pins inside the lock that will mm-hmm. connect with the key card, and that's what makes it work. But in the early 80s, many of them had switched to LED lights to detect the holes, uh, which is what kind of laid the groundwork for more computerized key cards with like the magnetic strip and stuff like that. So the electronic key card wasn't really a thing yet. Not quite. Like, I think it was starting to kind of roll out, but I think for the most part, they had these mechanical ones. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Right? I I thought so. Yeah. Like, I, that's just like some, like, I don't, like, I don't, like, didn't, I didn't think of that. It was just like, oh, yeah, I accept this key card as, yes. (laughs) But I will say when I was trying to come up with my, like, 2022 things, the key card did come to my brain. I was like, would this be like a, like a fingerprint in 2022 or like, like a, I don't know if we're getting too advanced, maybe like a face Right? Recognition thing. So, like, would Hopper have had no shot getting um, in because unless he, he held up the knocked out guy's face yeah. to the door? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I did think of the key cards in that context. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. But yeah. Um, so next we have Mike, Lucas, and Dustin. They're trying to understand where Will could be hiding, and L mentions the term upside down for the first time reminding Mike of Elle's demonstration with the upside-down D&D board. Dustin makes one of his first of many 
genius connections to the lore of Dungeons and Dragons, comparing the Upside Down to the Veil of Shadows, which is described as a dark reflection of our world, a place of decay and death, right next to you and you don't even see it. The boys ask Elle if they if she knows how to get there, and she says no. I would just like to point out how exhausted Elle is <laughs> at I this know. point. But not even because she, like, overextended herself trying to channel Will, but because she has been saying all of this already, and all of these boys coming to this conclusion, she's like, yeah, right. I've been saying it. So Will compares it to being like home right he's like it's like home but it's cold and there's nothing here and then mike is like like his house like yeah mike (laughs) like his house where Elle led you and she brought you yelled at her you yelled at her like they eventually get it but this is just so yes it's so timon and pumbaa yeah it's like timon has like pumbaa has like a great idea and then Timon is like, that's a bad idea. And then two seconds later, he's like, I have a great idea. And it's the idea that Pumbaa just had. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Right? Like, I, I didn't really think about that, but that's so true. Like, and even so, like, even after they, like, piece it together, they they just barely understand it. Just barely. And, and, and I don't even think Lucas believes it. No, I even wrote that. I'm like, I feel like he's sort of coming around, but he's still so skeptical. Like, yes. She says upside down. And he's like, what? Like, what do you mean what? Like, upside down. I know that we... Right. It's not fair. We're not being fair to them. You don't think so? No, I don't. I don't think we're being fair at all. (laughs) This makes no sense. I I guess, I guess. But, like, I, I wrote... Lucas can suspend his disbelief that there might be an alternate dimension at play here. But he still hates Elle. And, like, refuses to believe her. Well... I touched on this a little bit later. Okay. L is a is bigger than this for Lucas. L is a threat to the party. Mm. L is like a, a a the party you're interfering. Like yeah. that's what L represents to Lucas. So I think his issues with L go deeper than like nah, you're making no sense. Yeah, that's true. I I also feel like he does already feel kind of insecure about like his friendships and stuff because i think that isn't it said that like him and like mike and dustin have been friends longer than him and lucas or maybe it's like a whole thing like you can't have more than one best friend yeah i don't know what lucas's deal is um but i did some more deep diving after this scene because i never noticed this before but i heard it on this watch through And when they're kind of, like, starting to get the gist of the Upside Down, Dustin says, like, riddles in the dark. Yeah, I I caught that. Yeah. What is it? I had to look it up. It's a reference to The Hobbit. Um, It's the fifth chapter in The Hobbit. And here is a very quick synopsis. Bilbo recovers from his fall and finds himself in a dark passage, finds a gold ring on the ground and pockets it. Soon he comes across the creature Gollum, and the two soon get get engaged in an exchange of riddles. So it's, like, not... Mm. It doesn't say a lot, but, like, I thought the Dark Passage part was interesting. No, it's a cool reference. That is so cool. I I noticed... So I did pick up on that, and the only reason I didn't look into it was because the captions didn't capitalize it. So I I was like, is that not actually, like, a reference to something formal? Is he just using a weird kind of analogy or metaphor? But... Yeah, I'm glad that you you, yeah. you looked into it because I, I, I was to. like, wonder what that is. 
There is a, one other thing in this scene that I did a quick deep dive on, and that is Shadow Walk. Hmm. That, like, you have to use Shadow Walk yeah. when he says that? Yeah. Yeah, he's like, oh, you have to cast Shadow Walk. Cast Shadow Walk. Yeah. So I looked up what Shadow Walk is in D&D, and it is referred to as, uh, the spell enabled one to travel to the border between the material plane and the plane of shadow, and then physically wander along this zone to the desired destination, taking advantage of an effect that caused one to move much faster here than on the material plane. Thought that was interesting. That is interesting. It is a little flea. Yeah, right. It's like acrobatish. Yes, yeah. and I thought the move faster here than on the material plane was interesting because we do find out later that there's some weird time stuff in the upside down. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested mm. to see if that has any sort of bearing. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely this this I feel like this scene is really important because you get you really do get like the first D and D like reference, and it's really cool because. Dustin is literally reading the description of what the Veil of Shadows is as Hopper is yes. walking in yeah. to the part of Hawkins' lab that is, like, contaminated by the Upside Down. Yes. I, I broke it up in the notes, but those two scenes are kind of, like, interspersed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I actually really love that scene when it's just Dustin with the voiceover. Mm-hmm. So cool. And Hopper's, like, pushing back the mm. the Veil, more or less. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. That's oh, that's true. Cool. So, speaking of which, back at the lab, Hopper reaches the room with Mothergate and even touches it before being knocked out by guards. Jonathan comes home to find Lonnie with Joyce. They, quote-unquote, talk, and Jonathan tells Lonnie to leave, but Lonnie refuses, claiming that the family needs his help. Lonnie tells Jonathan his Evil Dead poster is inappropriate for some <laughs> reason. It's so weird. I... I I always think that that part is funny. He's like, take that down. It's inappropriate. I'm like, what? Uh, the only reason I, I've, I've had that same, like, why? But I th- is it because, like, in context, like, Will is dead, evil dead? Right. That was my guess. And I didn't Google it. I probably should have. But it kind of looks like on the poster the person is drowning. Mm. So maybe that's the problem because that's yeah. supposedly Will's cause of death. Maybe. Couldn't I will tell. say, though, um... I would like to clear something up because in Holly Jolly, I had this like, where is the song on the score thing going on? Oh, right. And it was, it was not Holly Jolly, the body. And it was over off of the score. And I was like, I can't find the song on the score. Is there an extended score? Turns out there is a volume two of the season one score. When Hopper is sneaking into the lab, uh, Hopper sneaks in, mm-hmm. <laughs> is playing and I had to be like, where is this song? So there is an additional 40 songs um, on volume two of the score that I need to ask everybody to go uh, listen to. So <laughs> the first 40 are good. And then the second 40 are also good. So you have 80 songs to go listen to. That is wild. That's an absurd amount of songs. But that's I- season four, too. It's two volumes, 40 songs each. That's awesome. I Very love important. that. Um, so I wanted to say... I thought it was a little odd that after Hopper literally physically saw and touched the gate, the Hawkins lab people just let him go. Like, did they think they were going to kill him when they shot him with that stuff? Well, they definitely made it possible that, okay, when he wakes up in his trailer, like I know we're kind of getting a little bit ahead, but when he wakes up in his trailer surrounded by booze and pills, that was definitely set up to make it look like 
he OD'd if he yeah. didn't just so happen to wake up from whatever they injected him with. Because That's, yeah. there were pills just... Like, it, it, if somebody were to have found him and he would have been dead, they made it look like he OD'd. Right, that would have been a pretty simple explanation. So, yeah, I guess yeah. they were like, he he's either going to die from whatever we injected him with and whatever, or he's going to be so freaked out by what happened that he's not going to talk. Yeah, I mean... I think it is a little bit weird, though, because he he literally touched this yeah. material and they've been treating that stuff with care this whole time, like putting on the hazmat suits and yeah, treating it more. It's a quarantined area. So the fact that he was just able to touch it, maybe the guards didn't notice that he touched it. Yeah, maybe not. But I do think it's weird, though, still that they let him go after viewing that and they didn't mm-hmm. even like fry his brain like nothing. Maybe they thought he would die. Yeah, but then it's very why possible. tap his why tap his trailer? Right, yeah. So that was kind of like a weird one for me. I don't know, but also going back to Lonnie and Jonathan's conversation, yeah. I just wanted to say, listen, I'm the biggest Lonnie hater on the earth. I cannot stand this man, but I do think, in fairness, Lonnie's being kind of rational in his assessment of Joyce here. One hundred percent. Like he, yeah. he has he has no other information. I do think his intentions are malicious for the most part but i do think he genuinely does kind of care about joyce and like doesn't want her to go absolutely you know out of her mind yeah um i mean i I would agree like i think there was a part up at the top that was like when he tries to convince her that she needs counseling Mm -hmm. to accept will's death and like i kind of have to step back here and be like yes you're an absolute piece of shit but joyce sounds completely irrational oh yeah and in his own way, I feel like he is sort of trying to mourn the son that he didn't really seem to care about in other contexts. Right. <laughs> but, like, to to suggest, like, the, what she's saying to suggest to somebody to maybe seek some assistance, I don't think it's that far-fetched. No, absolutely not. Oh, my gosh. If, if uh, you know, somebody you didn't really know that well, well, I don't know how about Lonnie, but if someone is, like saying stuff like that you would be like oh dear this person yeah. might, might need professional help like right some, something is up here um yeah i don't know he he seemed like he kind of cared about joys but i don't think he cares about his children kind of at all no like lonnie also when they're when he's talking to jonathan and he tells him that he's feeding into joyce's hallucinations it's interesting because at this point jonathan has seen the photo yeah so he knows that Joyce isn't hallucinating at this point. Right. But he so, doesn't let that on Yeah, Lonnie. I, I think that he kind of noticed, like, because I thought it was strange when he came home that he wouldn't ask Joyce to speak privately instead of Lonnie. Yeah, that was confusing as well. Right. But I thought maybe in that moment he made the decision that his mom is just too fragile right now and she doesn't need to be involved in all this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, that conversation kind of comes later, too, because Nancy's like, you have to tell her. She deserves to know. Yeah. And he's like, we'll tell her when it's dead. Right. So he's definitely sparing his mom's emotional health at this point. Right. Because it's it's hanging on by a thread. Yeah. So next, everyone gets dressed for Will's fake funeral. Uh, Chester the dog, RIP to Chester, wherever he may be. Lays down in Castle Byers, which is very sweet. It kind of seems like he senses Will's presence. Um, Jennifer Hayes cries at the funeral, which the boys enjoy. So that would have been a really good fast fact, actually, about the dog. Oh, yeah. 
Because they, like, had to remove the dog from the set because it didn't like Winona Ryder. And <laughs> I actually didn't know that. Yeah, that's because, yeah, the dog had to, like, wh- everybody was like, where, is, where did this dog go in season one? What happened to him? Well, he didn't like Winona. Wow. Either he didn't like Winona or he didn't like David Harbour. One of them he didn't like. I, I think it was Winona. And he, he also did have an issue with David Harbour. Weird. So they had to remove the dog, yeah. R.I.P. Chester. <laughs> That's Honestly, why Chester's only in season one. <laughs> the buyers have no time for a dog. No time for a dog. Like, <laughs> he's probably just hungry. He's starving to death because... Yeah. <laughs> when is the last time someone even <laughs> noticed they had dog. a dog? Like, <laughs> somebody do something about this dog. I know. So, so that would have been a good fast fact. Yeah, I actually didn't know that. So that's a great fast fact, just uh, in a different place. So <laughs> when they're all getting dressed for the funeral, I thought it was... Uh, Oh my gosh, there's the cat again. Um, I thought it was a little odd to see Ted tying Mike's tie for him. It was very fatherly. A weird paternal gesture that you yes. would not expect. Yeah, yeah, I was actually a little bit jarred by it. Yeah. And then in this scene too, I always thought this was a song off the score, but it's not. The The song that plays is called Elegia by New Order. Yes. And it's actually, the word is Greek for elegy. And I always thought that that was something from the score, but it's actually an instrumental piece. Also in this scene, we see that Jonathan does not know how to tie a tie, which is an excellent... No, he's very frustrated. It's an excellent nod to the fact that Lonnie sucks and never Never taught him. Never taught his boy how to tie a tie. Yep. Absolutely. it's interesting that you bring that up because you have Ted tying Mike's tie Mm -hmm. and you get that, but then you see Jonathan struggle with the same thing. I noticed at the funeral that, I don't know if you noticed this, who are the Sinclairs? Who are those people? <laughs> are they different people? Yeah, they are different people. <laughs> All three of them are different people. When you don't know if people are going to like your show. <laughs> like, so you cast randoms. <laughs> literally, Erica well, and his parents are different people. <laughs> Erica's a different person? Yes, she is a different oh, child. no. Yeah, that is a completely different child. Oh, my. Well, that's like Dustin alluding to his parents finding out. And then Who you are find his parents? It was just his mom, just, just Mrs. Mom. Henderson or Ms. Yeah. Henderson. Yes. But when you just, who's, this show was rejected by like five <laughs> different networks. The Duffer brothers were like, I'm not making any permanent decisions here. That makes sense. <laughs> it, do, it does make sense. Also, during the funeral, I don't know if you caught this, Ted is crying. Ted cries. Ted Wheeler is crying at the funeral. At, thir- at 13 minutes and three seconds, you see him. <laughs> yes, I have a timestamp. You see him behind Karen, and he's lifting his glasses, and he has a tissue, and he's blotting his eyes. Oh, he's got a... He's, oh, Ted has a heart. Right. Oh, Ted has a heart. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Fucking uh, Carol. I know. And I also wanted to point out at the funeral, everyone is talking to Lonnie, and everyone is ignoring Joyce. Well, I thought it was kind of interesting to see Karen and Ted yeah. address Lonnie, but, like, nobody is addressing Joyce. I know. It was so Even sad. Even at the repast. Yes. She's just sitting there, like, alone, and every- Lonnie's schmoozing it up with everyone. That, that is almost word for word what I wrote down. <laughs> Has anyone else sued the Sadler Company? I'm just trying to get some <laughs> advice here. <laughs> anyone have free legal services? <laughs> Anyone else have a problem with that quarry down there? (laughs) We can make this class action. Literally. It's the worst. (laughs) 
so after, or I guess during the funeral, um, Joyce has a flashback that shows Will drawing Will the Wise. He is shooting cabbages instead of fireballs <laughs> because he ran out of red crayon. I am once again asking for you to go listen to Lazy Boy. Lazy Boy. Boy. <laughs> yep, yep, I knew it. I knew it. Um, Just Lazy Boy. I, 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 this probably is nothing, but the, the, it kind of opens with her saying, Will the Wise is back, that flashback. And I, mm. I thought that that was a cool, maybe unintentional nod to the fact that Will will be back. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think, is there like any significance to cabbages? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, probably not, right? But I just couldn't help but wonder, like, maybe there's something in D&D that is genuinely green. I don't know. But like, I was just trying to... Is there the cabbage, cabbages? I don't know, but if we find anything, we'll let you guys know. I'll do a deep dive on cabbage. On cabbage. <laughs> so also in this scene, I just wanted to point out how sweet it is that Joyce is so supportive of not only Will and his art, but Jonathan and his art. And being from a, a poor family, like, it's not easy to support Mm-hmm. something like art you know we'll like have to get you a new box of crayons yeah like they don't have a lot of money and yet jonathan has this really nice camera mm-hmm. will always has crayons to work with and and other things and it's just so nice to see like joyce really supports her boys and just wants them to be happy and flourishing in their hobbies and you know art is not considered by most to be a lucrative career mm-hmm. which as a poor family you might be concerned about but not Joyce. No, no. She just wants her boys to be happy. It's so interesting that you say that, too, because later on in this in this chapter, when the, again, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but when the Hawkins Lab, or I suppose the Stady, goes yes. to the middle school to check out the AV club radio damage, the principal literally says, like, something along the lines of, like, yeah, the, the non-athletic types really like it in here or something. <laughs> excuse me so it's interesting like that you mentioned the arts because it's like the emphasis is just never really on the arts Mm -hmm. at all yeah that's true that is joyce is so good and crayola is expensive it is those are no rose art crayons a box of rose art those things didn't even work (laughs) i know they really didn't they erased as they drew yeah (laughs) (laughs) like a box of a hundred crayon like that is that is a, a luxury yep and it, I bet you it had a sharpener in the back, too. I bet you it did. Hmm. So after that, Hopper wakes up in his trailer, as we mentioned, surrounded by pills and beer cans. He sees a mark on his neck, or maybe doesn't. It was hard to tell, uh, where he was injected with something. He, Salteria. Oh. He immediately begins destroying everything in his house to finally discover a single listening device in an overhead light. I think he drools at one point. In this yes. Yes. Yes, he does. Yes. He He straight up drools. David Harbour is not afraid to be ugly. And I love that. Yeah, he he drools. Yes, there is a part where literally you can see just like spit and drool just dripping from his mouth. It is horrifying and awesome. Yeah, he's great at that. (laughs) He's he's also incredibly sweaty. Very. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what they injected him with, but it sure made him sweaty. Yeah. 
I, I liked how he stabbed his couch in the same way that he stabbed Will's fake body. I actually had that same thought. <laughs> yeah, he took the knife and was like, in the same way that he did it. To, I mean, he was a little bit more gentle with Will's fake body, but yes. he did. He he shredded that couch. He sure did. Um, at first, I had no idea what was happening in this scene. Like, I really oh, didn't. Oh, that he was, like, looking for a bug. Yeah, like, that. I was like, why is he destroying the house? <laughs> uh, you know, back when I first first watched it, I had no idea. And then when he pulled the listening device out, I I didn't know what the hell, like, that mm. was. So I was like, is that a... It looks like one of those, like, button batteries. Like, that's what it reminds yeah. me of. So that's what I thought it was at first. Uh, because I, I just didn't know about that. But I do love that Hopper is clearly... A conspiracy theorist. This man he is. He's foil. all in. He's a tinfoil hat wearer for sure. Like he immediately was like, "They're listening," and he was right. He knew. He yeah. knew. Yes. He and his intellect in this in this mm-hmm. scene really struck me. I was like, "You knew." Yes. Like you knew. It's crazy. I know. You knew. I I was very impressed. So after that, uh, we go back to Will's funeral. Nancy and Jonathan are deciding that they need to kill the monster. They need to seek it out and they're going to kill it. At the repast, the boys speak with Mr. Clark about interdimensional travel. And he explains the concept by using an analogy of a flea and an acrobat. The acrobat can only walk across the tightrope, but the flea can go above, below, or around it. He explains that the flea would need an impossible amount of energy to, in order to travel in this fashion, which would cause a disruption of an in an electromagnetic field. I think they should have just moved forward with yelling at the Demogorgon. Because <laughs> Jonathan was like, what do you want to do? Take another picture? Yell at it? Uh, yeah. Yes, I would like to yell at it. You'll go yell at the Demogorgon. Yeah. I also... Fa- I it, it intrigued me that Nancy and Jonathan caught on so quickly that it stays within a very small range. Yeah, very smart. Yeah, that was interesting. Was like a, within a mile, they were like... Well, the, he's really... it's. It's only moving between Steve's yard. Like, they really narrowed down where this thing was prowling. Yeah. So that was cool. Mm-hmm. Like we mentioned earlier at the repast, Lonnie, this is, we almost wrote the same thing. Lonnie is yucking it up with the dads <laughs> while Joyce sits alone at her own son's repast. Where yeah. is everyone else? Why is no one talking to her? Like, it's so weird. It It, it makes me wonder if, like, maybe people don't really know what to say. And they they also know that Joyce is like, I mean, they think Joyce is going through some sort of psychotic break and maybe they don't want to deal with that. I I don't know. I would say that's probably what's going on. I mean, like, I think we can all relate to not necessarily knowing what the right words are. Of course. When somebody suffers a loss. So, like, I can see maybe if that was it. But I still think, like, Karen, you brought her a casserole. Right. Like, go sit with her or, or, or offer some... Just some support. Somebody. You don't even. You don't have to say anything. Like. No. Yeah. You can literally just sit there and be with somebody. You know. I felt so bad for Joyce here. I was infuriated by Lonnie's behavior. Normally he's just a a normal douche. But. Yeah. Here he was. He was extra. Speaking of extra. I would just like to point out in this chapter that Nancy is using ultra volume lash extension maximum lash ultra volume mascara. By CoverGirl. <laughs> At first, when you first started describing it, I was like, how do you know the exact mascara? But then I realized <laughs> you were being facetious. Yeah, her lashes look really good. In this entire chapter, her lash... I'm like... Right? They what, do. What? 
volume lash extension ultra extra (laughs) cover girl revlon like what is this (laughs) mascara (laughs) it's so it's impressive much lashes and it doesn't even look like she's wearing makeup like when she goes to the funeral i actually had a thought like when she looks in the mirror i was like oh like wow she's not even wearing makeup but that makes sense because she's going to a funeral but her lashes are huge she, maybe she got them lash extensions in maybe. 1983. Yeah. She had a, she had time. She did, of course. I just and wanted to point that out. So Mr. Clark, of course he knows about the Veil of Shadows because he's a huge nerd, right? Uh, this is the scene to me. Like, mm-hmm. like, I could isolate just this part of Mr. Clark speaking to the boys at the repast and be like, yep, that, that encompasses Stranger Things to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would agree. I it just it. feels like that's where we get the moment yes yeah it clicks like you watch the boys click with Mm -hmm. it and it is cute though how mr clark was thinking that the kids were asking this question (laughs) because they were trying to conceive of like an alternate reality that will didn't die in yeah because then they were like no that's not what we're going with this and he's like oh okay okay. (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was cute mr clark was like Oh, they're trying to conceive of a dimension where Will is alive. And they're like, Cause, yeah, no. Yeah, because he was like, and there's that, there are dimensions where none of this ever happened. Yeah. And they're like, that's great. I don't really care, but. <laughs> cool. Anyway, also Mr. Clark says, it might just swallow us up whole. I wrote that. Mm. Season five. Mm. Interesting. Talking, yeah, you know, we know Jason, he got swallowed whole. Well, half. Half. <laughs> But two halves make a whole. (laughs) Yep. They do. (laughs) This has been math with Marina. (laughs) This is Starcourt study hall. We are studying math. Yes, we are. Two halves make a whole. That's the end of the math lesson. (laughs) This has been math. (laughs) So Um, theoretically. Yeah. Off the score. (laughs) Theoretically. Yeah. Oh, is that what's here? The song I, is called Theoretically. Okay. I, I did see that in the list of um, score that appears here. <laughs> I it I don't know it off the top of my head, but I know it was there. Yes, theoretically. <laughs> theoretically. But also actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so Powell and Callahan and their single shared brain cell <laughs> visit Hopper's trailer to report two more people going missing. They also report that some state troopers discovered Barb's car at a bus station. <laughs> I wish you guys could see Marina's face right now. Just wide um, eyes. No, nothing to um, say. Nah, uh, <laughs> Callahan and Powell need to be fired. I know they're so bad at their job. I wrote down, I think it was so funny. Like, I actually rewound it and watched it again. When Hop goes, where was this? And Callahan goes, it was at the station. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, the car. <laughs> But it I also love how, how Hop has subscribed to Mirkwood. <laughs> yes, he immediately is like, Mirkwood. <laughs> but at first, when the boys mentioned Mirkwood, he's like, Mirkwood? <laughs> and now he's hook, line, and sinker. Yep. Mirkwood. Yep. I love that. He's in deep. He is in deep. Next, Lonnie does the only useful thing he has and ever will do in his life and boards up the hole in the living room wall. Thanks, Lonnie. You can leave now. So helpful. He begins lamenting about the Sattler Company and how they have no safety signs at the quarry. 
And I would just like to say that Joyce immediately clocks this. I know she does. I can see her skepticism on her face when Lonnie is like, it's a shame what they did to this family. And Joyce is like, what? It's because of her turtleneck. She looks so cute in this turtleneck. She looks so good in this (laughs) turtleneck. On a superficial note, right? this woman in this dark red turtleneck. She looks good. So good. That's why she knew. It was the turtleneck. It was the power of the turtleneck. Yes, that woman can rock a turtleneck. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe in our post for this episode, I will (laughs) include a photo of Joyce in this turtleneck. Just rocking it and being intuitive. She strikes me every time. I'm like, what a woman. (laughs) I know. Same. So back at the Wheeler's basement, Mike explains Mr. Clark's theory to Elle Dustin quickly realizes that the compasses are no longer facing north, and if they follow the disrupted compasses, it should lead them to the gate and the upside down. This note says comapses. Does it really? Yeah. (laughs) That's okay, though. It does say (laughs) comapses. I hate when my comapses malfunction. (laughs) Oops. Uh, I love Dustin's insistence that they need to learn more about compasses (laughs) i know i also it just it was funny because aren't they like trying to get his attention in this scene they're like dustin dustin it reminded me of eddie trying to page dustin and he's like dustin earth to dustin in season four i was like everybody's just always trying to get dustin he's deep in thought he's unreachable he's He's right about everything he is and i think he might be wearing a tie with the periodic table on it Mm, that sounds so like accurate yeah (laughs) so but he's right about everything he's right about the compasses he's right about the russians he's right about the fact that vecna is the mind flayer's five-star general Uh he's right about everything Uh this is my just to digress for a minute this is my main argument that people who are like vecna truthers do not believe it but come on now how many times does dustin need to be right for us to believe him he's been right about everything everything unless they're trying to throw us for a loop i don't know man i, I wouldn't just respect that decision i would not either but i once again digress in the wheeler's garage nancy practices her softball swing when steve comes by to apologize he kindly asks about barb and suggests that they go to a movie to feel normal which nancy turns down i i found this to be romantic what do you think yeah, I, I think he's just doing what he knows how to do to make somebody feel better. Like, yeah, I think he's because this is the same thing with the Halloween party in season two. He's like, Can we just be normal for a night? Like he just, yes. I think that's just where he finds comfort, and mm-hmm. and I think he's doing his best. I think so too. I, I mean, I think that if if you know the supernatural stuff was not involved, which at this point Steve does not know about, yeah. um. You know, Nancy is just suffering. Like, her family is going through something really hard. I don't think it's a shame to leave that behind for a night and just kind of feel a sense of normalcy. So I thought this was really sweet. I agree. I also think it's funny how he says, because Nancy's, like, practicing her swing, and he she almost hits him. <laughs> and he goes, hope that's not for me. But then what is what is his iconic weapon? Oh, it is for him. <laughs> A baseball bat. It's for I just him. thought that was fun. Yes. It's for him in a different way. Yeah. It's for him to use. <laughs> yes. Against interdimensional monsters. Of course. 
gotta have that on hand just I in case. I can't wait to talk about that scene when he's he's like <clears throat> trying to grapple with what's happening in the buyer's house and Jonathan and Nancy are like, you need to leave. <laughs> Nancy literally holds him at gunpoint, but okay. <laughs> yes, but then he, the hero kicks in and he does leave, but then he sees the lights starting to flicker in the house and he goes back I know, in. I know. I can't wait to get to that episode. Yes. Yes. Well, Lonnie is in the shower. Joyce. Oh, just stop. I did not need to see that. Ew, right? I said, I literally wrote things I didn't need to see Lonnie showering. <laughs> Ew, right? I things know. Things I simply did not need to see. Nope. That goes on the list for sure. Joyce Sorry. casually just goes through Lonnie's bag, which I adore. I love that. She's just like, let me investigate here. Joyce and Hopper with that intuition. Yep. And she finds a flyer in his wallet, I would like to add, that she has gone through for a lawyer. <laughs> And Lonnie admits that he plans on suing the Sattler company over Will's death to make money. Joyce immediately kicks him out, delighting audiences everywhere. Good riddance forever, Lonnie. NYU, Lonnie. He's wanted to go to NYU since he was six years old. I literally Sorry, I just had to do that. Literally wrote that in all caps in my notes. <laughs> the whole the whole thing. I just had to do it. Yes, it's great. Um, also, Jonathan does not go to NYU. <laughs> Spoiler alert, <laughs> Jonathan does not go to NYU. Although, actually, we don't know that. He he doesn't, well, maybe he'll Where take a gap he going? year. Right? Where, a gap year? Is that supposed to be funny? <laughs> Hawkins has gaps in it. There's a giant hole. Oh, wow. He's not going to college. Do you think they're going to go back to California after this? For what purpose? Yeah. Well, their house, the house is there. Is, oh, yeah. Okay, but it's shot up. It has a lot of bullet holes in it. <laughs> it's no longer a functioning home. That is true. I mm-hmm. I just want to say again, I think we mentioned this in our season one overview, but I this is like my favorite Joyce moment, like almost, maybe ever, when she's just screaming and shoves him and kicks him out. It's the turtleneck. It's got to be the turtleneck. It's the turtleneck. It gives her confidence. It's... <laughs> this is the last we see of him yes like ever we never see him again he is gone yeah he is just he is gone which is great even after will is confirmed alive he never shows back up which confirms what we all knew that he does not care about will at all he's a big stinky piece of poo yep and good riddance that said we next have a wonderful transition where it looks like Jonathan shoots Lonnie, but unfortunately Jonathan and Nancy are practice shooting <laughs> and talking about their families. <laughs> Nancy laments about her parents' loveless marriage and how she does not want that for herself. Back at Hop's trailer, he calls his ex-wife, who questions if he has been drinking again. He hears a baby in the background and hangs up the phone, then rips it out of the wall. I think this is like, I know that last episode for the body, we talked about his send off to Sarah. Yeah. Right? I don't know. This feels like a little bit of more of that. Yeah. Like he's closing this book. Yeah, I actually wrote, is Hop doing this because he thinks he might die? Oh, interesting. Like, that's uh, that's what yes. it... Mm, right? Like You're I right. I was trying to figure out what the purpose of this was, and I, mm-hmm. I think it's because he thinks he might be killed. Or it's like a point of no return. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yep. So, I don't know if that's true, but that's my interpretation. I think so. I like that. Yeah. I subscribe. <laughs> so the boys and Elle are walking along the train tracks and they're following their compass. Lucas questions if Elle is acting strange and she has a flashback of Papa requesting her participation, as if she has a choice, in an experiment involving what she refers to as the bath. Back in reality, Elle urges Mike to turn back. I mean, this whole bath and Papa and asking her, like, as if she has a choice... 
it just really does like the, it's like the whole MK Ultra thing again. Like these people, to me, they didn't really have informed choice. They weren't making informed no. choices, and they probably couldn't say no. So it just to me, it just goes all back to that. Like he's literally saying, "Is this okay?" And if she says no, then what? She's gonna be punished. Right. So she's gonna she doesn't be... really have a choice. Yeah, she's probably gonna be locked in the the windowless room again if she right. says no. So that's yeah. very sad. I I just have like. A little bit of a bone to pick with Elle in this episode. Like, if she had just said to Mike, maybe not Lucas. I, I can I can understand that. But if she had just said to Mike, it's very it's dangerous. I know where I know where the gate is, but it is extremely dangerous. Remember those bad men that I have already told you about? Yeah, they're there and they will kill us. Um, so what? I don't know. Like, I just felt like she could have. I mean, obviously, she doesn't have like the biggest vocabulary, but. In a way, like, she could have explained that there was danger, and that's why she was, like, really reluctant to lead them there. Yeah, I agree. And she, she eventually does say... It's not what safe. Say? It's not safe or something, like, like at closer to the end of the episode. But I, I do agree. I think she could have said something sooner, just so that it didn't appear, like, that she was sabotaging. But right. at, the, at the same time, it's hard for me to think of her expressing herself that way. I guess, but she has explained the bad men I before. Know. So bad. I, I, yeah, it's bad. I feel like bad. Listen, maybe not Lucas. Dustin is kind of morphable. I feel like he could maybe come around, but Mike would believe her right away, and he would be like, "Okay, we have to come up with a different strategy." Yeah, I guess I can see it, it both ways. I don't like. I can see her struggling to do that, but I also feel like she could have just said said something. Yeah. But even if it wasn't as eloquent as what you said, right, she right. could have said something. Yes. Also, in this scene, L or Mike says to L, "Just hold on a little longer, okay?" Which is what L says to Will in mm. the bathtub. Well, it's interesting because, like, it just because it, it to me that does kind of speak to the limitations of her language at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, she seems to use words that she's heard, mouth breathers, yes, lie. 315 like she's very repet like she's repeating Mm -hmm. kind of parroting yes so it's that that is an interesting point because yeah like where i remember when she like one of the first times i watched that episode when she says just hold on a little longer i'm like okay when did this girl start speaking in sentences um but yeah when mike says that i'm like that that's why yeah she heard him say it and she said it but she knew what it meant right yeah she did she understands for sure Mm mm-hmm After their target practice, Nancy and Jonathan continue through the woods. They argue about Jonathan taking Nancy's photo and what she was saying when he took that photo. And Jonathan absolutely demolishes her by reading her like a book in the middle of this damn forest. I think we disagree. Really? I do. Oh, tell me. Jonathan, to me, in this scene is a major eye roll. I'm like, I think, and I could be wrong. But I just think that Jonathan's interpretation is, like, what he wanted to see in Nancy mm, and yeah. not... He can't accept that a girl like Nancy would want a guy like Steve. I don't know. I just feel like his interpretation of her is his narrative and not what's... At, I don't know. I just... I don't respect this moment for Jonathan. <laughs> no, I definitely don't either because <clears throat> the, po- the the starting point of their argument goes back to something that Jonathan did wrong. Like, yeah, he did something very violating. And then he's going to, like, read her? Like, what did she do? She didn't do anything to him. And she almost, she almost, she's like, 
that is such bullshit. Like she, she to me was like, I don't know. I, I don't interpret it like him reading her. I interpreted him like somebody tells you to describe what you meant by this photo and you didn't mean anything by it. So you come up with some hogwash. Mm. I don't know. I agree with some things of what he says, but I, I definitely agree with you also. Like I do feel like Nancy might have been kind of pushing her limits and, and exploring herself, which is totally okay. That doesn't mean that you're being somebody else. It just means you're exploring. But I do think in this moment, Nancy does kind of have like a little bit of a turning point after he says Mm -hmm. all that, because she just stands there for a second and she just like scoffs and then like keeps walking. So to me, that moment said like, okay, he's like a little bit right, but maybe I'm wrong. I I don't think, I don't think either of us are wrong. I think it's just like, it's an interpretation thing because to me, and this could be just my, my bias. Like it, it just, it feels like Nancy felt shamed and that she had to revert mm. to a version of herself that Jonathan wanted to see. I don't, to me, like that's what that felt more like. It felt like Jonathan sort of pressuring her to not be the person that she was when she was exploring her relationship with Steve and yeah. she felt shamed and she like pivoted i don't know that's just yeah i think it felt unfair to me i think so too i mean yeah i think it's definitely unfair i don't think uh, jonathan has any room to talk shit about nancy when you know she was the one who was violated here yeah weird scene it is so back at the buyer's house hopper arrives and bangs on the door like a like a banshee uh but First, he has to absolutely wreck the place looking for a bug. He finds nothing and explains to Joyce that Will's body was a fake and that she was right all along. That scene gives me chills. Satisfying. It gives me chills every time. Yeah, I literally wrote, chills, I love them. I want to cry with her. Me too. <laughs> it, it is. It's, it's, a, it's like a validation. Me too. I also took note of the fact that Joyce answers the door. Mind you, she thinks it's Lonnie who's banging down Mm -hmm. the door. She answers the door with a hammer in her hand and she gets cut off mid-sentence, but she is saying, I'm gonna mur- Joyce, you're gonna what? (laughs) With a hammer. She probably feels murderous. She's probably like- I would too. Homicidal. (laughs) She's like, this this guy, like, get out. Like, stop coming back. We don't want any of your Girl Scout cookies. (laughs) Lonnie, Lon, your thin mints. Oh my God, yeah, I, your, I, Samoas. I don't know Lonnie personally, but I, I could feel murderous towards him. I think, you know, yeah. he seems so. He seems murdery. He, yeah, yeah. I don't know. He just he's he's an infuriating human being. He really is. I understand Joyce's plight completely. Why? Whenever we, whenever my husband and I have watched this, he always says, "Why couldn't they just talk outside?" <laughs> <laughs> Why did Hopper have to come in with his little sign and say, shh, and unscrew every single light bulb? <laughs> like, why couldn't Hopper just be like, Joyce, come outside real quick? Like, I understand that's not a long-term solution if the house was bugged, right. but also just to get the message across. Like, he, this is like the equivalent of somebody texting you and be like, we have to talk. Like, just say it. <laughs> just, like, pull me outside for a hot second, tell me that my boy's alive, and then we can go in and unscrew the light bulbs. Like, why? <laughs> Why did you have to put me through this painstaking process? Right. One of my friends at work also pointed out something interesting about this. So when they went to the funeral, right, which was the last time they were out of the house, presumably, from the time that Hopper was, like, in the lab, this was the last time that the buyers were out of the house. 
so the lights were down. Lonnie took down the lights when he was oh, yeah. when he was putting Problems. the the boards back up. So Problems. why would Hawkins Lab put a bug in lights that are not even hung up? That doesn't make any sense. So, but the lights were hung up again because when Hopper walked in the house, he looked around like, "Oh shit, I gotta unscrew no, all these bulbs." But they were. But in the time that Hawkins Lab would have had the opportunity to come into their house and put a bug in their house, the lights were down. Well, Joyce was putting them back up, but I'm saying they were still in the house. So when would Hawkins Lab have have come in and done that? Well, Hopper doesn't know that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It isn't it also a little bit strange that Hopper wasn't at the funeral. Yeah, I thought that too. I was like, "What? Like, wouldn't Joyce be like, where? Where is he? Where's Hopper? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just thought of that. Yeah, right now. I thought that was weird too. And then when he gets through with it, and he takes the all the he finds the or he finds no bug or whatever, he still says he's not sure if the house is bugged. And then he's talking at like full volume. Like, okay, if if you're not like a hundred percent sure, maybe whisper. No, or go outside. Or go outside. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, just go outside. Yeah, I don't know. That's it, it's. Yeah, this is an interesting. He episode. was probably tired. He just, just he just completely. I know. Took apart his whole house. Right. He's like, I don't want to be bothered with taking apart another house. Right. If they get me, they get me. You know. Yeah. Like whatever. Because <laughs> he literally says that's probably good enough. Or yeah. Something. He's just done. So back at the. Um, or back with the boys, they're at the junkyard. Lucas realizes that Elle's nose is bleeding and she's been tampering with the compasses, causing the boys to walk around in circles, ending up at the junkyard. He insists, or she insists, it's because the gate is not safe. Lucas calls her the monster and Mike and Lucas begin to fight. Elle tries to break it up, resulting in her throwing Lucas into a car hood. Elle goes back into her flashback where she makes contact in the watery void with a russian spy she then hears a growling creature causing her to scream and beg for help back at the junkyard mike once again yells at l causing her to run away this scene is there's so much in this, mm-hmm. in this in this scene there's too much i felt overwhelmed it's tough <laughs> watching this and trying to make thoughts me too i i watched it on my because normally i watch twice to do the to the recap um and notes and stuff and on the first watch i watched it and was like oh god i forgot how tough this scene is on my second watch through i literally skipped it i was like i can't it's it's so bad it's just pain like there's it's just a lot there's a lot going on so for the purposes of trying to pick it apart it's really difficult yeah there is a ton going on i would also like to ask did henry creel send the monster into the void because re-watching this i'm more convinced that that is what happened because you don't see the monster she didn't make contact with anything that would cause her to open the gate and yet we hear the monster growling so what's that about but the void isn't a isn't a place right it's just in her mind i guess i mean unless the henry sent the monster to her mind that's what i'm thinking because where did he where did it come from there's no tear in time and space yet l didn't do anything so what you're saying is there's no it would be too coincidental yeah. for her to just so happen to encounter this creature unless it was sent to encounter her yes i truly think it was sent to encounter her because how else does it just appear before they've even well, how would henry know that she was there to be encountered i mean he's pretty powerful and also like he knows her and I'm assuming probably Brenner's intentions. Right. I I truly think it was Brenner's actual intentions to go find him. I don't know. I guess we'll find out in season five. Or maybe not. Who knows? I don't know. (laughs) No, no. It's making me angry. I know. I know. I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, Oh. But yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yucky. Yeah. 
I was just going to say, I wonder in this scene how much of Lucas's emotions are grief related. Hmm. I don't know. He's just like, I, I just can't help but like when he, when he, when L does throw him into the truck or the car and he is just so angry, like, I wonder how much of that is driven by the fact that he's trying to accept that his friend is gone and everybody around him is telling him that he's not. And he's like, I'm trying really hard to just accept this and you're all making it very difficult. Mm. Like, I, I could see maybe part of his anger being rooted in grief. Yeah, that does make sense. Mm-hmm. So back... But he or, low blows. He does low blow. Like, like, low blows. Like, you're blind because you like that a girl is engrossed out by you. Like, that's what he says to Mike. That's like, so oh, mean. No, no, no. And also, unintentionally, of course, Lucas calls out Elle's deepest fear by saying she's the monster. Yeah. Like, she is constantly grappling with her uh, her capability mm-hmm. to, to be evil. Yes. Right? So him, and I don't know if she realizes that that's a fear of hers at this stage, but he really just. He goes for it. Yeah, and then she, it's almost like a, like a self-fulfilling prophecy because then she, out of like overstimulation and emotional exhaustion, throws him into the car hood and almost proves right. that she's the monster. Like, it's like a self, it's, it's, that's what I mean. Like, this scene is, there's just so much, like, I could just talk a lot about this scene. And her face after the, after she does that, oh, it's so sad. Like, she's yeah, so hard. she can't believe what she's, yeah, she's capable of. I know, and it's, uh, th- like, honestly, I have to skip this scene. It just, it hurts me. <laughs> like, it hurts. Yeah, I don't know. But the last thing about this is that fresh blood is playing. Yes. And... I just thought it was interesting because you have Elle's fresh blood, but then in the next scene, you get the deer. Oh. The deer's fresh blood. That's That's true. It's a very bloody scene. Well, speaking of fresh blood, Nancy and Jonathan find a deer bleeding in the woods, and Jonathan (laughs) raises his gun to put the poor thing out of its misery, but is terrifyingly dragged away. Nancy and Jonathan try to follow its tracks, and Nancy finds a gate in a tree, which she crawls through for some reason and it's so scary and i don't i do not like that uh she winds up in the upside down where she sees the demogorgon feeding on the dead deer nancy accidentally catches the monster's attention and she screams for jonathan who can hear her faintly and begins looking for her as the gate closes trapping nancy inside i just want to point out mr gorgon using his telekinetic abilities in this Mm -hmm, scene mm mm-hmm He's just yanking that deer. I know. No touchy touch. I actually wrote that. I Mind you, we don't see the back of the deer, but my guess would be that it's telekinetic because then wouldn't Nancy and Jonathan see the monster? They don't see the... Nancy doesn't see the Demogorgon until... He could have even pulled it from the portal in the tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because otherwise he wasn't there. He wasn't present. No. Yeah. He was just in, in the upside down. So... Yeah. In, in this scene, um, before Jonathan... Sh- or before he's gonna shoot the deer nancy is like are you sure and he says mm-hmm. i'm not nine anymore didn't he say earlier that he was 10 when his dad made him shoot a rabbit and it made him cry i don't know i would have to listen yeah i'm pretty sure he said he was 10 and then in this scene he says i'm not nine anymore i mean honestly it could just be like sometimes you don't like childhood memories you're like i don't know i was a nine or ten i don't know whatever also yeah, i don't remember nancy really loves barb so much that she is willing to crawl through this crawl through this this dr- Mind you, it is dripping. It is dripping. It is wet. The, it is it is very the, narrow. The portal is dripping. And I know that we were joking in the body about the upside down being a placenta. But you're <laughs> not going to tell me. Anybody traversing these gates, it 
it is meant to be birth like yes. i'm sorry oh especially that in season two intentional yeah. yeah this is like it is birth imagery like nancy coming through the portal into the opposites and like i'm sorry yep but i birth i would like to mention and i would like to say this on record marina you're my best friend and i love you very much i'm not doing this i'm so sorry <laughs> no i'm not doing you're not this. crawling through the portal no the second Your curiosity wouldn't get the best the of you. second i started i would try i would i would try but the second i got like a little bit in there and i realized how narrow it was and that it was squelching i'd be like i'm so i'm out i'm so sorry i guess that's fine <laughs> i can accept that unfortunately <sighs> yeah i'm sorry i also in this scene you i hear the cooing yes that you imitated in season one i heard in the <laughs> overview i heard yeah. the cooing yeah i hear it it's there yeah it's definitely an owl like you're definitely right but um we don't really have like a lot of owl activity where we live um so i i'm i don't know owl activity is low in these yes (laughs) the owl activity is is at an all-time low around here (laughs) so that is the end of chapter five the flea and the acrobat and it ends on a fabulous song that we hear throughout the credits which is called nocturnal me by echo and the bunnymen and that song came out in 1984 so why is it in this episode not (laughs) accurate (laughs) (laughs) not accurate not accurate so that said moving into music a little bit for this episode um from the original soundtrack we already mentioned um allegia by new order that's it's an instrumental version of it but it's playing Mm -hmm. on the morning of will's funeral Another one that we get is Green Desert by Tangerine Dream. That's when Hopper is tearing apart his trailer. We actually get a good amount of Tangerine Dream throughout this show. Um, Tangerine Dream seems to have that very much like Dixon and Stein sound, Mm. but it's not Dixon and Stein. So they do use Tangerine Dream quite a lot. Over to the original score. I didn't write everything down because there was a lot of score in this episode. A ton of score in this episode. So we got what else is there to do? And Lonnie actually says those words. Um, It's when Mm -hmm. Lonnie is denouncing Joyce's belief in Will's living. Um, Lazy Boy, as we mentioned, it's when Joyce is having that flashback of the cabbages. Uh, Joyce and Lonnie fighting is self-explanatory. Walking down the tracks, again, Mm self-explanatory. And then two of my uh, simultaneously least favorite and favorite tracks from the season one score, Lights Out, which is when Nancy and Jonathan see the deer get pulled away and tendril which is the most terrifying track on any of the four albums it's when nancy encounters the demogorgon for the first time in the upside down and it is so it's so jarring if you haven't heard it it, it it'll scare you every time i'm gonna go listen just to tendrils Ooh, scary yeah there was also a song that played when nance before the deer gets yanked away and they're just observing it and it's called something in the house Ooh. and that's off the volume two of the score as well and it, it's just it's eerie ready to get into mvps and lvps yeah so tell me who was your mvp for this episode so my mvp for this episode the flea and the acrobat was not the flea or the acrobat it was actually dustin yeah um, because I think he officially brings us the D&D lore. Mm-hmm. So that's just very, it's very important. Um, he thinks of the Veil of Shadows. He notices the compasses. He is the problem solver. 
we just need to be honest, without Dustin in this chapter, the series as we know it would yeah. be completely different. Th- like They would be hopeless. It would be the logic he employs not only makes the information palatable for the characters, but it also makes the information palatable to the audience. Mm-hmm. So it's just like really, we understand what we're watching yes. because of what Dustin does. And that's that's series-wide. I know we said that. So... Dustin is my MVP. However, I would like to give a quick shout out to my runner-up Joyce and her turtleneck. <laughs> and her turtleneck. She was my runner. <laughs> she was my runner-up for MVP this episode. But Dustin took it. So I actually put Dustin as my MVP too. Yay, Dustin! <laughs> he was a- Earth to Dustin. He was absolutely <laughs> the MVP of this episode. Um, one other thing I wrote about him though that you did not mention was that he doesn't get between Lucas and Mike. He does not become a part of their beef he stayed he doesn't no he's just focused on the mission honestly yeah i mean he's like non-confrontational i know that like when they separate dustin does stay with mike but mm-hmm. honestly i think at that point it's more like okay well i'm not gonna walk off into the woods by myself so right um and that's interesting yeah so i i think he does a great job of not taking sides yeah um oh it's so fun that we pick the same right? person we haven't done that yet. i know i will say my runner-up would probably be hopper Okay. Yeah. He he really goes for it this this episode. He's yeah. full tinfoil hat. Yep, full he's deep deep in the holes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about your LVP? If we have the same LVP too. I actually don't think we're going to. Mine is kind of controversial. Okay, mine is obviously Lonnie. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm so I just he's just an absolute slime. Yeah. <laughs> Of a human, his motives to profit off of Will's death are just just, just disgusting. And then we never see him again. Right. Like, he is gone. He is completely gone. He becomes entirely irrelevant. And I don't think that's an accident on the part of the writers. They could have written him back in, and they did not. Yeah. So I think that the choice to not write him back in and to make him virtually disappear just reinforces that he has absolutely terrible intentions and he's a shit human being. Lonnie is my LVP. Yes, thank you. I agree wholeheartedly. I cannot stand this man. Um, like, you're <laughs> going to tell me that he, I mean, presumably he continued living in Indianapolis. You're going to tell me in Indianapolis, which seems to be maybe an hour or two outside of Hawkins, he's not hearing a word of what's happening in Hawkins. You're going to tell me Doesn't that? Doesn't inquire? No. Like, he never, like, is like, I should go back around and see, like, whatever came of yes. it. Never. He just is gone. Hey, I heard that the mall caught fire and 32 people died. Hey, I heard that there was a gigantic earthquake and the earth opened up. No? Nope. Okay. Cool. Nope. All right, Lonnie. All right, Lonnie. Sick. LVP. All right. So I'm going to be a little controversial on my LVP, and I f- renamed it LVP. Because no, L is my get LVP out of the podcast. <laughs> That's not allowed. You didn't read that in the rules when we started. <laughs> nope, that was not on my contract. L, <laughs> listen, our nine cent contract. Yes, our not. Yeah, we're we're really raking it in now, guys. Um, <laughs> nine whole cents. Um, listen, I kind of took a page out of your book, and I was giving more of like the LVP in the sense that they didn't contribute much to the episode. Okay. All and right. I feel like Elle could have, like I said, I feel like she could have contributed mm-hmm. a little more and, and, and explained a little bit. Listen, mm-hmm. if, if the boys didn't listen, that's not her fault. But she could have tried. And yeah. I, I don't think she thought it through all the way. 
you know, I, I, the boys are very smart. They would figure out that they were walking in circles pretty easily. So I think that she should have at least told Mike in confidence that it was very dangerous for them to go there. So that is, that's my LVP. And it's not, I love Elle so much. She's like, you know, amazing, obviously. But yeah, in this one, I felt like Elle could have done a little more to help our boys. You could even argue that she not only, she she not only didn't advance the plot, she like hindered yeah. the plot yeah she didn't she didn't just not advance the mm-hmm. plot she actively hindered the plot because if they had just followed the compass and she hadn't interfered it would have led them to hawkins lab and not like they would have been able to get in to hawkins lab they would have just realized oh okay now we know hawkins lab is involved and that's really all that would have happened it's interesting to think of how it would have been different if she hadn't had done that yeah i mean eventually lucas yeah takes the reins I think, I, I think in the next episode, but uh, we'll hear more about that next well, time. Well, I, yeah, I have one thing about compasses. Um, Did you? I would just like to point out that no one would be using compasses <laughs> right wow. now. so true. In 2022, like, we'd all just be used. If, if we were forced to use a compass, we would just use the compasses on our phones. Right. Um, Which would not be affected, I'm assuming. Exactly. So, like, if they wanted to actually use compasses in 2022 because they wouldn't have been equipped with actual compasses, they would have needed to order compasses on Amazon. And then it would have <laughs> taken, like, several days for the compasses to arrive unless they had Prime. So I am um, saying that Will would have died if this happened in 2022 because they would have been waiting for compasses to arrive from Amazon. Wow. So true. Because re- they, they wouldn't own one. They like. would literally nobody who owns a compass. If you own no. a compass, I want you to come forward and tell us because <laughs> nobody owns a compass. Not <laughs> I would like to hear about this. I would like to hear from you compass owners what you're doing with that right what is your profession or like your hobby (laughs) that you're using this for like i i would like to know will would have died will definitely would have died in there waiting if they did not have their compasses to arrive and if if worse if they came from the post office these compasses would have been like weeks delayed oh yeah no nobody owns a compass no so no that's unfortunate yeah if, if this happened in 2022 will would have died for sure. Waiting for, sure. for compasses to ship. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's great that it didn't happen in 2022. Yeah, because then. compasses. Yep. All right. Well, well, just want to give another shout out to all our fleas and our acrobats and our compass <laughs> our compass owners. Um, if you're a flea or an acrobat or a compass owner, just let us know. Absolutely. We would love to hear from you. <laughs> well, until then, stay, stay strange. strange. To keep in touch and stay informed about upcoming Star Court Study Hall episodes, Follow us on Twitter at SSHPod and on Instagram at Starcourt Study Hall. <laughs>